Hello there, and welcome to Head Start English. Today, we are going to talk about Aunt Julia. Not my Aunt Julia, Norma McCaig's Aunt Julia. Now, obviously, the SQA have been very helpful this year by telling us what to expect in the Scottish text part of the exam. And we know that for hire, the Norma McCaig poem is Aunt Julia. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to analyse line by line and stanza by stanza this fantastic poem and hopefully we all have a lot of fun together doing this i mean we're not gonna have fun it's poetry nobody nobody enjoys poetry. well some people clearly do um otherwise it wouldn't be i think but i'll try and make it as painless as i possibly can if that's possible so here we go stanza one it starts with aunt julia spoke gaelic very loud and very fast so First of all, you notice that her name is the first thing that appears in the poem. Aunt Julia spoke Gaelic. So having her name right at the start emphasises her importance to the speaker, her importance to the poem as a whole. Um, then we've got the repetition of very loud and very fast. This firmly establishes her energy, her vitality, the fact that in the speaker's eyes, she was full of life. Yeah. Um, and I think by opening with this statement, it underlines that this is probably his most abiding memory of his aunt. I mean, we get these same two lines later in the poem, which just reinforces this, that this is a particularly important memory to the narrator. Then it says, I could not understand. No, it doesn't. It says, I could not answer her. I could not understand her. So the repetition, again, this time of I could not establishes a tone of regret, perhaps frustration, that he was unable to communicate fully with his aunt when she was alive. Um, and the fact that she couldn't be understood and that he couldn't communicate with her, it makes her seem like this almost otherworldly presence. You know, it makes her seem really special. Okay, moving on to stanza two, it says, she wore men's boots when she wore any. Now this suggests a woman who was both practical and a, the kind of person who doesn't really care very much about their appearance. Um, the fact that she's kicking about wearing men's boots, if she wore any. Some of the time she may be outside working the fields wearing no shoes at all. It also makes her sound a bit eccentric, a bit different, which is something that's carried through the poem as well. Then he says... I can see her strong foot stained with peat. Now, strong foot, that suggests power. Yeah, we know that the work that she did was physically demanding, whether she was outside or whether she was in the house. Um, so this just kind of conveys her impressive strength, her power. She's a powerful woman, Aunt Julia. Stained with peat, this conveys a connection with the outdoors, with nature, which is another thing that the poem likes to do quite a lot. And it also makes her sound quite hardworking, the fact that her, her boots are stained with mud. Um, and it also, again, we've talked about her not being that fussed about her physical appearance. The fact that she's walking around wearing mucky shoes, 
would suggest that she's not that fussed about her aesthetics and aesthetic appearance. Then we've got this long line paddling with the treadle of the spinning wheel. There's not really much to analyse there. I mean, paddling, it's the idea that she's always on the move, she's quite active. And this is probably not something you'd write about, but it's quite interesting to notice that this is a very long line. It's the longest line in the poem when you look at the poem from top to bottom. And the long line highlights the length of time that the spinning process would take when she was working away at a, a, a spinning wheel. But it gives us the idea that she was always on the move, always on the move, as Obi-Wan Kenobi likes to say, um, and suggests that she was hardworking, she was active. Then we've got this further description as she's she's doing her spinning, her knitting or her sewing. While her right hand drew yarn marvellously out of the air, the word marvellously conveys a sense of magic, illusion, wonder, um, when it's viewed, you know, it's, it's the idea that it's like this magical thing when it's viewed through the eyes of a child. So this opening stanza, or opening stanzas, gives us an impression of a very active woman, um, an eccentric woman, a hardworking woman, a practical woman, a woman who's not overly fussed about how she looks, but an interesting and memorable character nonetheless. Okay, on to stanza three. Hers was the only house where I've lain at night. Only house. That conveys that this is a unique place, a special place. Aunt Julia is a unique character. Her house was a unique place. It's it's very clear from all his descriptions that she was very special to him. Um, so it's the only house where I've lain at night in the absolute darkness of a box bed, listening to crickets being friendly. So throughout his descriptions of his aunt, there's a deep underlying affection in everything that he says, in all his descriptions, whether it's about her, whether it's about the house. And it's interesting here that despite the stereotypically frightening absolute darkness, he seems really comfortable and at ease. It's almost as if the darkness provides a blanket of protection for him. You can use that in your answer when you're doing your exam on Wednesday. Um, and this kind of like comfort is also evident when he suggests that even the insects, something you traditionally associate with fear, they're welcoming. The crickets are friendly. So this is clearly a warm, safe place for the speaker. Then we've got the next stanza. She was buckets and water flouncing into them. She was winds pouring wetly round house ends. Now this is an extended metaphor. That's where the writer uses a metaphor and runs with it for quite a bit of time. In this case, four lines. Um, this metaphor basically shows that the narrator feels that his aunt is so closely linked with nature that she's basically part of it. She is these things. So here we get to see a direct link with wind, with rain, with the elements. And I think what the speaker is doing here is suggesting that his aunt was perhaps a force of nature herself. Yeah, she's just like a walking weather. Don't write that in your exam. This suggests that Aunt Julia is a walking weather. But the, the description of her being like 
the wind and the rain, it suggests that she was a force of nature, somebody to be reckoned with, somebody powerful and impressive. Okay, then we've got she was brown eggs, black skirts, and a keeper of thruppany bits in a teapot. So he's linking her also, another extended metaphor, this time to her collection of simple domestic items that she clearly had lying about the place. And we learn a lot about the things that she collected, the stuff that she had, the objects that she owned. They show her to be, again, somebody who's very natural into nature. She's traditional. She's careful with her money. She's very sensible. Um, so this list here, it shows us that the speaker clearly has many memories of his aunt. Um, and that allows us to understand that his thoughts and feelings remain strong, even though she is no longer with the speaker. To the last stanza, we have a repetition of the opening lines when it says, Aunt Julia spoke Gaelic very loud and very fast. So by returning to the opening lines of the poem, as I said earlier, he's establishing that this is an important memory in his mind, but it also indicates the beginning of a conclusion. You know, it's where we started, it's where we end. Um, by the time I had learned a little. So this moment here, the tone of the poem shifts. So far, it's been one of nostalgia, kind of warm, happy memories of his aunt. Now we shift in these last few lines into a tone of regret and frustration and sadness. So by the time I had learned a little, she lay silenced in the absolute black of a sandy grave at Luskintyre. So very interesting word choice there when it says silenced in the absolute black. In contrast to the, the vitality, activity, the liveliness that we saw in Aunt Julia at the start of the poem, in her working life and in the house, death has silenced her. She's no longer this force of nature because she's dead. The absolute black that he talks about there is a really stark reminder of the absolute blackness that he talked about in stanza three. Only this time the darkness, it offers no comfort. It is no longer a blanket of protection. Um, now it's something quite depressing that makes him think about the finality of death. So the, the blackness here, the dark, makes him think about like the infinite black, the infinite darkness that awaits us when we die. Okay, moving on, it says, but I hear her still welcoming me, I can't say that line, but I hear her still welcoming me with a seagull's voice across a hundred yards of peat scrapes and lazy beds. So Aunt Julia was so connected to nature that the speaker basically hears her and thinks about her in the sounds and sights of the natural world around him, even after she's dead. So this shows how it gives us, it lets us understand the idea that basically memories live on long after a person is gone and that there's always going to be sad wee reminders of people um, everywhere we look. In this case, it's the seagull's voice, uh, the peat scrapes and lazy beds, the places where she worked. Seagull's voice is interesting because, again, seagulls, they squawk, you can't understand what they're saying. In a similar way, Aunt Julia spoke Gaelic very fast, very loud. He couldn't understand her. So not only is it a connection with nature, it's also the idea that like it reminds us of the fact that he couldn't communicate with her when she was alive and he can't communicate with her now that she's dead. Now we've got these last sad lines and getting angry, getting angry with so many questions unanswered. So we've got the repetition there of getting angry, getting angry, emphasises the extent of his frustration. 
You know, he's both he's angry at the unanswered questions left in the wake of her death, but he's also he's kind of angry at the death of her way of life, this kind of traditional crofting way of life that she represented. I think what McCaig's doing here and the speaker, kind of the same person, let's be honest, his warning is like that we need to hold on to culture and heritage. You know, the kind of the stuff that is connected to that kind of crofting island way of life. Um I think he's afraid that like if we allow that way of life to die in the way that Julia died, it too will be lost forever. And then you notice the the word unanswered is given a line of its own at the end with so many questions unanswered. Putting that on its own, separating it from the rest, it just makes that all the more emphatic the fact that he cannot speak to her anymore. He can never, like she can never answer his questions. So it, having that word on its own, it, it emphasises the finality and the kind of profound sadness that he feels that he can never ask her questions and expect an answer from them. Hey. So that's the poem analysed. The only other thing you need to think about now is the 10 marker question at the end. Now, I've written down a few possible questions you could get. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, it's just Head Start English. I'm going to post them on there later on. I mean, I have an Instagram page. I never use it. I don't think I've used it in about two years. I keep telling my students that I'm going to use it and then I never do. Um, but I have an Instagram page. I have a Facebook page. I have a Twitter thing. I'm going to try and post stuff onto that more regularly from now on, he says, two days before the higher exam. But yeah, so I've written down a few possible 10 marker questions you could get asked um, that would relate to Aunt Julia. The first, the obvious one's about death. You could be asked about poems that deal with death or loss. Now, obviously, that would link nicely with visiting hour, probably only visiting hour. Um, but I think that's too obvious. I don't think the SQA are going to be that obvious. The next question I thought of was maybe something to do with nature like how his poetry explores the world of nature because this poem obviously makes a lot of references to the natural world um and if i was doing that i would connect it to basking shark because basking shark's about nature it's about how when the speaker encounters this thing this shark in the natural world it changes his view of mankind makes him think differently i mean if you were really wanting to be smart you could argue that all things in nature die and another poem that deals with the fact that all things in nature must die is visiting her. But I do feel that's a wee bit of a stretch. Um, okay, you could maybe get a, po a, a question about poems that deal with strong emotions. You can take your pick there. Visiting her is about the, the anxiety of visiting a dying loved one. The strong emotions that the speaker feels in Assisi when he sees how badly the, the unfortunate little person is treated outside the church. Um... What else could we do? Well, uh, perhaps because it's describing a character, this poem, you could get a question that asks you to talk about a vivid description of a character. So I think the best one for that would be Brooklyn Cop, because there's a lot of description of the cop. But you could do Assisi, because we get the dwarf, we get the priest, we get the tourists. There's quotes for each of them. Visiting her, arguably, it's about a character. I mean, all poems, usually, if they've got a narrator, are about a character, because the the narrator is a character within the poem, so you could do visiting her. It's about a character visiting a dying loved one in hospital. 
Uh, one of the other things I thought it could be something to do with the past, about connections to the past. Obviously, this is all about happy memories of the past and how sometimes we end up regretting things we've not done. Um, I thought Basking Shark was about the past because seeing the shark makes the speaker think about the past. He thinks about prehistoric times. He thinks about evolution. Um, and the other question I thought about was maybe something to do with the theme of communication. Aunt Julia is all about the importance of communicating while people are alive. The fact that communication can break down if you speak different languages. Um, so I thought for that one, obviously visiting her is a good one because it's all about the difficulty you have in communicating with somebody when they're ill. The white cave of forgetfulness, all that kind of stuff. The distance shrinks till there is none left but the distance of pain that neither she nor I could cross. There's stuff there about how communication breaks down when a person is dying. So basically what I'm saying, when it comes to the 10 marker, I wouldn't go into your exam with just a couple of, you know, like three visiting hour quotes in your head and that's enough. I would make sure you've got at least two or three quotes from at least two or three poems. I would suggest maybe um, visiting hour, basking shark and Assisi and, or maybe Brooklyn Cop. It's up to you. Um, but remember, a lot of you get taught when you're doing that, you know, the commonality extract elsewhere or other. A lot of you are taught to just compare it to one poem. Remember, in the question it says, by referring to this poem and at least one other poem by McCaig. So if you wanted to, you could do like just one quote from three or four different poems, if you've got time to do that. Most people try and do it, but they just do like three quotes from Visiting Her or three quotes from Basking Shark. But you could do one quote from each of the poems. It really just depends how much time you've got left. I mean, when I do it with people, I tend to get them to write three long elsewhere paragraphs. If you've got time, add a fourth, add a fifth. I mean, in your English exam on Wednesday, you should not be sitting at the end doing nothing. When you're doing your RUAE and you're doing your comparison question, you can write as many points as you want. When you're doing this, you can write as many paragraphs as you want for your final answer for your 10 marker so there should be you should not be sitting smugly at the end thinking you're finished because you can always add more everything you write gives you more of a chance of getting the mark so you should never just be sitting there thinking well i've written three paragraphs now i'm done what if one of your paragraphs is absolute rubbish write four if you've got the time because three of them might be good and one might be rubbish and you'll get the marks for those three you're never going to get marks taken off you for writing a bad answer so give yourself as many opportunities to get marks as possible okay anyway i better go because that's slightly longer than i meant to um good luck on wednesday with your rue and your uh, critical reading paper you'll be fine um just try not to get too worked up about it and do the best you can i mean that was really inspirational wasn't it just listen to that last 10 seconds before you go into your exam and you'll be absolutely buzzing before you go in right anyway uh, as i said you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all these things. I'll try and be a bit more active because I'm terrible at doing that, but I'm determined that I'm going to do that from now on. So if you're in, well, if you're in fourth year, I don't know why you listen to this because this is the higher thing I'm doing. But if you're still doing English next year, maybe you've got to reset it. Um, you can still follow me and I'll try and put out some helpful tips and advice more often than I currently do. Anyway, good luck. Thank you for listening. Bye.